Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is an episode number 56 with Daniel Dubois, who is the president of a real estate startup here in Toronto called Key Living. And they are on a mission to reinvent the whole real estate industry with an extremely powerful concept. And I'll let Daniel explain the whole details in the interview. But what's really cool about Daniel is that he was the only guest, who's the only guest on this show, who ran a 100-kilometer race along the Great Wall of China with no prep. He was visiting China on the weekend and decided to take the part in this race, which is absolutely crazy. He's top 30 under 30. He uh, launched two venture-backed companies before, led growth in, at Airbnb, and he has this philosophy of living life to its fullest and maximizing potential and maximizing risks that you can possibly take. A really, really interesting um, approach, and he gives fascinating examples. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Daniel. I'm here with Daniel Dubois, the president of Key Living, the startup that is in real estate. Daniel, welcome. Great to have you. Thank on the show. you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I know this is been, been long overdue. <laughs> yeah, it's been a year in the making, but now we're here, which is awesome. You, um, it's it's funny because with this whole COVID nineteen situation that happened, I uh, normally what I started doing over the last couple of interviews is I my first question that I ask guests um, to break the ice is in the world of apocalypse, what would you do? And everybody laughs and they say, oh, I would just, I don't know, or I would just hike up north. And you know, that's what I normally get. Uh, and I interview CEOs or C-suite, but it's surprisingly relevant right now, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's, it's always better when you can ask a question that it's not just what would you do, but what have you done? Um, so even like if you ask someone, what, what is your fitness schedule like um, this, this coming week? That's a very different answer than how active were you last week, right? Um, Absolutely. So I can tell you that I am standing on my stand-up desk with a walking treadmill underneath me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've, converted, uh, I've converted my place into a, a, a pretty awesome uh, work environment. I noticed that my resting heart rate increased by 25%. Uh, since going remote. And it was just, I was wow. doing workout videos at home and getting active and doing yoga and feeling like I was in this good routine. I was meditating in the morning, uh, mm -hmm. but yet I wasn't getting steps in. So really, um, maybe there's something else to it other than purely uh, not stepping, but I know some days I would end the day and I would have yeah, like 800 <laughs> steps, right? So anyways, yes. I have a walk in the now. I hit 15,000 steps yesterday. Um, I have an awesome routine where I wake up, I meditate, I get active, I do yoga uh, with my wife. Um, and then we've actually converted, um, and you're the, I think the only <laughs> one to know this other than my family and anyone who listens to this. Uh, my wife and I are obsessed with Scandinav and bathhouse, um, mm -hmm. such as, uh, you know, the Russian bathhouse or oh, yeah. uh, Japanese bathhouse uh, with ice cold, uh, ice and, and hot. Um, so we actually, uh, we love our place, but the one thing that we don't have is a, is a bathtub. Um, mm -hmm. So you can find on Amazon uh, inflatable bathtubs that go in your, <laughs> in your bathroom. So we actually bought two of them seeing our, you know, the apocalypse is here, right? So we've converted, we have two bathrooms. We've converted one of them into like a at-home spa. Um, so That's yeah, amazing. We have it, it's hilarious. It makes me laugh. It's very makeshift, but it works. And you're, you're the type of person that always tries to, tries different type of experiences like that that are not very common, I find. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I guess uh, you could definitely point to that as being something that's not very common, but uh, but I love it. It's incredible. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 also interesting that you you don't quite you, you spend less time outside. You don't really commute anywhere. So like you want to still be active somehow indoors, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I <laughs> and I love being outside. I love you know running and cycling and um, you know being out in nature. So it's definitely uh, it's definitely a shift. But I I view this time as how can how can I come out better than ever because of it? How it's almost my wife and I were chatting um, just like you know being a caterpillar that's going into a cocoon and coming out as like a fierce butterfly mm. afterwards right and even our team has the same uh mentality of, of that we're going to be better because of this so uh we're doing a, a push-up challenge as a team um we're we're starting all our meetings with with gratitude nice. um we're really uh focused on on really creating a culture of accountability that much more because you're not beside each other um in in the office where you can easily collaborate now we're we're uh we're probably collaborating more than ever and really mm. every everything in our weekly sprints our weekly wins meetings start with this is my sprint for the week this is what was accomplished um this is the outcome that i'm that i'm working towards and this is why it's significant this is the impact and the bigger um role that i'm playing to to help the overall team and, and the mission so yeah it's, it makes it's such a big difference I'm really enjoying this time in a, in a strange way. I'm excited to be able to get back outside again, but I'm having a lot of fun. I was just about to, say, to ask you, like, do you see it as an opportunity or as an actual real apocalypse? And you just answered, which is, which is interesting. I actually had a chat with one of my friends, and uh, I think something I mentioned which was interesting is, you know, there's so many posts online that people are saying that they are bored. I can't imagine, like, what exactly they were doing before or what they're doing now. But what's interesting is that, let's say this period of time lasts for a couple of months and then somebody watches a lot of Netflix, right? So you walk out when the whole thing is over, you will feel like somebody will walk out outside to, to go back to the normal routine after doing like 500, 600 hours of Netflix. And it affects your brain actually. <laughs> like after you're doing that, like sort of heavy lifting of content, it, it's going to be tough. Yeah, de definitely. We actually just had um, on Wednesday, we did a guided hypnosis as a team, um, which I felt like we've had multiple people have come to me expressing interest in getting into meditation. And I immediately reached out to a good friend of mine, um, Adrian Wesley is his name. And he is one of the most sought after hypnotherapists on this planet. Um, incredible background, incredible narrative of, you know, doing big things in business and going bankrupt and uh, traveling the world and getting rid of every, everything and really doing some soul searching and coming out on the other side, just better than ever with such a big heart. And, uh, and it was, it was a ton of fun doing this, uh, guided hypnosis. And one of the things mm -hmm. that he mentioned in it, um, he gave a talk, uh, ahead of time is that we're all, our brain is always being programmed, right? Um, we're always receiving information that is going into our subconscious, whether we recognize it or not. So any of the content that we're consuming on Netflix, whether it be, you know, Tiger King, which I hear so many people talk about right now, um, or, or if it's, uh, you know, a similar style documentary, a similar topic, but much more educational, like uh, Veronga, which uh, Leonardo mm -hmm. DiCaprio um, produced, or, uh, right. you know, I just watched um, Imagineering, which was this, the founding story of, of Disney and uh in disneyland through the ages which is just so inspirational and then also Absolutely. um the pixar story right just massive massive creativity so the, this idea of a live time versus dead time where you can uh you're rather you know you're you're rather growing or else or else you're uh you're you're wasting time and there's an absolute time and place for 
um, for just relaxing and watching content that that helps you uh, yes. that helps you relax. But um, but are is that a lifetime or is that dead time? Absolutely. And you you mentioned meditation, which is uh, which is really interesting. Like when you wake up normally, uh, your your normal day, what kind of things you're doing in the morning to get yourself ready uh, into the day? Yeah, so I've I've definitely gone through phases. So I'm I'm not uh, I don't mean to come across like I, I have it all together, um, but uh, but right now what we're doing is a, a meditation with my wife. My wife's mm -hmm. uh, naturally waking up earlier than I am. I'm not using a, an alarm clock. I, I wake up naturally, uh, relatively early, and then we do our meditation and uh, and then uh, a workout in yoga. Um, we have a leadership call with with our team uh, with the sort of C-suite um, at 9 a.m., which is a nice just way to kick off the day um, with the team. I always try to, I keep my phone on, not try, I'm, I'm really good at this, um, is just not going for my phone in the morning. My phone's downstairs. I have it on airplane mode. I usually fully unplug by, by 8 p.m. I notice that if I don't, it impacts my sleep quite a bit. Um, it's hard. It's hard for me. It was very difficult in the past for me to ch turn my brain off. And especially if I'm doing emails or something like that right before bed, I would just lie in bed wide awake. <laughs> so, so, um, so are you yeah. like, are you like drawing the line saying, Hey, this is the time when I'm done. And, and I'm, and then I'm, then I'm offline and I'm focused on getting ready to bed, doing whatever you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And actually um, the iPhone has it built in where you can have um, nighttime mode where everything goes to sleep at a certain time. So all my apps, except for um, a couple essentials are turned off at 8 p.m. every night. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then don't turn on again until 7 a.m. the next day. Have you tried uh, journaling at all before? I have, but it's something that I haven't been consistent with. Um, I do mm -hmm. believe in the power of it. I was talking to someone recently who was just raving about it and how much it changed his life uh, and the massive impact that, that, um, that he has had with journaling. So maybe this is a, maybe this is a trigger for me to get on it. And you know right. what I do absolutely love is 30 day challenges. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, just being able to take something like journaling and commit to it for 30 days and it'll be uncomfortable at the beginning. And then at the end of 30 days, decide, is this something that I want to include in my life moving forward? Does it serve me or is it, um, is it more of a hassle? So I'm, yes. I'm making a note right now. Good approach. Yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, I haven't tried journaling before ever, and uh, I've I've listened to lots of stories from people who are like uh, who were on Tim Ferriss' show that journaling is so effective. And then I tried uh, morning pages from um, from the book The Artist's Way uh, from Julia yep. Julia Cameron, and I found it to be incredible tool in terms of you get insights about your work, you get insights about your personal life for free, effectively. And they're coming from you, they're coming from your subconscious mind. And the, the whole methodology of the morning pages that, that Julia talks about is super simple. You sit down and you write whatever's on your mind for three pages, and that's it. You don't really, no questions you have to answer, no gratitude stuff. It's super simple and it's all whatever's on your mind. And then there's going to be probably a little bit of garbage at first for the first few days. And then later on, you actually get into the real insights. And nice. it takes about 15 minutes, but it's a little bit of time. But you, I, I found it to be real powerful. Yeah, amazing. And in 15 minutes, it's 1% of a day, right? That's nothing. Right. Exactly. Uh, for How something you, so powerful. Yeah. Absolutely. How do you structure your day? Because you get to do lots of things 
And you have to, I would assume, to dive deeper into some projects where you, you can't really be multitasking too much. Yeah, uh, yeah. So my days right now are very filled. Um, I find that there's, there's not the commute time in between meetings. So before I was consuming much more, podca- much more podcasts or audiobooks, which I definitely am not right now. Um, just because as soon as one meeting ends, the next one begins. Right. Um, so I think because this is a, this is a test this is my first time working remote, um, moving forward today, I actually blocked out three hours to do something. Um, and it is a holiday <laughs> today too, which is kind of nice, but still I had a call right before this, I have a call right after there's still people that are at home and they're looking for something to do. Um, right. We have someone on our team that is part-time and he has a full-time job somewhere else. But he's so passionate about what we're building um, that he, uh, that he, you know, works evenings and weekends. And when we do our weekly wins meetings on Friday, uh, he uses that as his, uh, his sprint meeting. So he talks about what he's going to do over the weekend. And then on Monday, when we talk about what we're doing for the week, he does that for his wins meeting, what was accomplished over the weekend. And I feel like that's where I'm at now, right? During the week, I'm just so slammed um, mm-hmm. in a good way, not complaining by any way. I want to be busy. And, and these are awesome meetings that we're, that we're having. Um, but, uh, but the weekends are really an ability to, to, hunker down and, and, uh, you know, work on things that are mm-hmm. a little bit more proactive. Right. Uh, and you, you don't spend time on social media too much. I guess that's again, like lack of time in general, right? I mean, we all have the same amount of time, but, uh, but yeah, you're right. I'm not active on, on any social media channels except for, um, LinkedIn and what, even on LinkedIn, I'm not, I'm not active other than I find it extremely powerful for, for being able to connect with people and, Mm. Um, yeah, intro pathways and whatnot. And that's where you and I connected probably yeah. around a, a year or so ago. <laughs> Precisely. You did this, uh, I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, you did this crazy sleep outs multiple times outside in winter, just sleeping back, a piece of cardboard to support homeless youth, raise the, uh, raise the money. Tell us about the story. How did you get into it? Yeah, how did I get into it? So it's Covenant House um, that you're referring to. So yes. when I was in Vancouver, um, I was, I don't even remember how it came up originally, but every year they do the executive sleep out. So there's a, a group of executives who sleep outside on just a, a piece of cardboard for a night and you raise money for homeless youth. And it's a great event. It's a great group of people. It's a great fundraising initiative. Um, it's an easy cause to support. So Covenant House um, focuses very much on one is sex trafficking, which is very mm-hmm. underserved and, and an area that is somewhat taboo. People don't even talk about it or realize that it's happening in our own backyard in cities like Toronto or Vancouver. Um, right. And then also just a, an incredible shelter for homeless youth that really focuses on community and systemically addressing um, their abilities to be able to be part of society. And it's, it was so powerful. The first time I mm-hmm. went for a tour in Covenant House, I asked them for success stories and I was expecting them to say like, oh, do you know this company? Yeah, so-and-so was part of our shelter and they started it or whatever it might be. Incredible success mm-hmm. stories or people that have sort of really made it big. And they said that success for them is the people that they're able to help um, actually have access to to government ID. So many of them come in without even a way to identify themselves or like being able to land them a job in a movie theater and have them be able to live on their own without going back to the streets while getting rid of any drug addiction or helping them with counseling to work through their incredibly traumatic Mm -hmm. uh, childhood. So, um, 
so yeah, it's just, it's, it's top of the waterfall. It's so you look at so many of the, the challenges with, uh, with the city and, and, you know, the homeless population and, and youth are the future. And there is a, there's a thousand homeless youth on the street every single night in Toronto. Covenant House has something around 70 beds. So That's the, crazy. The, the need is so much greater than, uh, than the supply. Um, but it's so great that that uh, Covenant House is, you know, it's better to mm-hmm. to light a candle than to curse the darkness. And I just really believe in, in what they're doing. Absolutely. Uh, okay, I want to ask you this because uh, I'm a runner myself. I love running. Uh, and I read the story that you did a 100K trail race uh, along <laughs> the Great Wall of China. And that was, sounded like it was almost on a whim. Uh, what, what was that about? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome that you came across that. Um, it's funny, my hands get sweaty when I think back of that there's, no, there's not too many experiences that I actually get nervous uh, just talking about that that time um, so I had an incredible opportunity um, there's a group called the G20YEA stands for Young Entrepreneur Alliance so the top 20 economies around the world send uh, around 20 representatives delegates from those countries to get together in the host country so I went in Turkey and as well as in China um, mm-hmm. to, to talk about entrepreneurship, youth entrepreneurship, how can it be uh, supported and how can the top economies come together to collaborate. And at the time, this was in, uh, in China, in Beijing. Um, and I was there, I extended my trip uh, for the weekend. I was flying out Sunday night. So I was simultaneously, I had a, a letter intent from one of the largest um, uh, retailers for outdoor equipment um, and mm-hmm. active lifestyle. And I was able to meet with one of the board of directors from Arterix, uh, the Arterix uh, portfolio company. They own Solomon Shoes and, and Wilson as well. He introduced me to the CEO of Sanfo, and Sanfo is, uh, is like mm-hmm. the REI or MEC of, of China. Mm-hmm. And it's very formal meetings in China, right? So we yep. toured with his leadership team four different locations and learned the entire founding story. And at the end of the conversation, I mentioned, um, and this is, uh, this is, I believe, Thursday or Friday, um, mm. and, the, and I mentioned that I fly out Sunday night, and I was looking for something to do over the weekend, and that I would love to experience Chinese nature, and if he has any advice on areas <laughs> that I could do a day trip from, from, uh, from Beijing. Yeah. And he mentioned this, uh, this 10-kilometer trail race, and it sounded amazing. I told him, you know, sign me up, and then he... Uh, as soon as he had someone uh, look into it, they came back and said, oh, that's a different date. This weekend is a 50 kilometer or a hundred kilometer along the Great Wall of China. Um, so I was nervous for the 10K, right? I wasn't <laughs> running at the time. And yeah. Uh, and yeah, it was just such a such an incredible opportunity. Um, they said that the, the 50K was actually sold out. So they only had access for me to do the 100K. And uh, yeah, I can feel it in my stomach. I can feel it in my stomach now just, just talking about it. So I, I signed up. I, they picked, I had someone that, um, that they were nice enough to organize a ride. I was picked up at 2 a.m. and drove out to the, the Great Wall of China. Um, I was trying That's to crazy. figure out if, if I was uh, in the right lineup because everyone uh, was at 50K when I was actually right. about to start the race. And so I actually started the race with the wrong group of people, the 50K. And then there was a, a fork in the road about five kilometers in that said 50K this way or 100K the other way. And, uh, and yeah, and I, I, uh, I remember I called my wife and I was just like, you wouldn't believe where I am right now. 
I'm super nervous. <laughs> I have like a tiny jacket that someone let me in a flashlight because it goes overnight to do the race. And yeah, it's a, it could be a very long story. It could be an entire podcast just on this. I have a ton of photos and, and videos from the experience, but it was absolutely amazing. It was, tw- it took me 27 hours, um, nonstop. I had a, an incredible group of people. You're supposed to do it as a team, um, not a relay, mm. but four people and every checkpoint you have to be with all four people to complete the race. And I had, um, a woman who caught up to me and she was just like, what, what are you doing here? Your pass says media. I didn't even have a pass that was a participant. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't realize that until she came up. And she, uh, when I told her that, you know, I'm spontaneously doing this, she said, there's absolutely no way that I'll finish on my own. And they, uh, they adopted me. They, uh, we did the entire race together. It was, it was, um, it's quite the experience. Um, it was a that, heat, yeah. That's crazy. Like, how did you, so like it's in one go. So you're not really like, you can't really camp out and, you know, just like pick up, pick it up tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was wild. It was during, it was a heat wave during the day. It was so hot. Um, I felt exhausted just even 10 kilometers. And I actually, I, I, you know, the saying where it's 30% physical and 70% mental. I was, I was done, like done, done, um, at 29 kilometers in (laughs) there was a, there was a watermelon stand. And we were eating watermelon. I remember looking at the, the distance and yeah. it messed with me thinking like, okay, I really feel like I can't take another step. And, um, you know, I, I wasn't training whatsoever, was not a runner and uh, just outright exhausted. I felt like I was getting heat stroke. I kept turning to, uh, to Mary was her name, the one who spoke English mm-hmm. in the group. And she, uh, she was so strong. She was like, Daniel, I feel fine. Like, you it's so important that we we stay positive so if you feel like you're getting a heat stroke then just pull out but that's fine just don't don't bring it up unless it's extremely serious and you need help but like you know <laughs> right away nipped it in the butt and i was like okay man yeah. yeah i guess i'll keep going and uh and yeah just in nighttime was freezing it was in the mountains i don't know if you you know the the uh, great wall of china yeah it's it was only the first few kilometers of the race I was even in the Great Wall, and then you go over five different uh, mountain ranges. Um, yeah. What did What did you like? How what What helped you, in your opinion, to get through this? Because um, you, from my experience, from from hearing stories from David Goggins, for example, uh, the former Navy SEAL who did 100K as well um, multiple times. You need to have something very, very strong to get through this uh, crazy challenge, uh, because it's like you're in pain for a long time, not for like an hour or two hours. That actually goes on for a long time. What was it for you that helped you to get through this thing? Yeah, and I know David Goggins is is a absolute animal. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, I, I was just sent a video of David Goggins doing. Um, he did a challenge for people that are you know isolating with COVID. Uh, saying last weekend we're going to run I believe five miles every four hours throughout the entire weekend so if you start at 8 p.m then go again at at midnight and then again at 4 a.m and then 8 and you do it throughout the entire weekend right and he's just and he was saying uh, in that short one minute video that someone sent me the reason why you do this is you add it to your cookie jar is what he referred to it as right and then you just know how badass you are. You know, when you face the hard times, which is inevitable, we're all going to have harder times than we're facing right now 
even with COVID and everything else that's happening in the world. And then you'll just know that, uh, that this too shall pass because you've been through it in, in the past. Uh, but I can't say that I, it was actually something, I didn't have this incredible motivation or pull um, mm. like that where I was going in with an, the intention of, I'm going to add this to my cookie jar and just show how badass I am to myself. I went into it with just, holy crap, why am I doing this? <laughs> why am I, what is, what is my why? Like, you know, yeah. and, uh, and I think my, my why, while I was, you know, on the bus, on the way to the start line, and when I was there and the only foreign person, there was 8,000 people, 2,000 doing the 50K, or sorry, 6,000 doing the 50K and 2,000 doing the 100K. I was the only foreigner um, that I could mm. tell in that entire group. So I was a borderline celebrity. Everyone was running up and taking selfies with me. Um, <laughs> and I'm tall, I'm like, you know, six, six, right? So, um, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, my why was just living life to the absolute fullest, you know, just one day, essentially one weekend of my life and something that I will absolutely never forget. And the terrain that we went through is just gorgeous through, we were hopping over rivers and, um, going Mm -hmm. through incredible old temples and palaces and, and, um, at nighttime, it was uh, because I'm so tall, there's gigantic spiders in the, in the trees. So I had this crappy little bicycle flashlight, you know, where I'm shining down to watch my footing because we're in the mountains. And then I'm shining up to yeah. make sure that I don't go through a giant spider web. Um, and just to make it through that, it was just, it was such an experience. Um, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. No, that's, that's crazy. That's, uh, I've never heard anybody, I don't think there's, there people who would do that like i think there are very very few people who would you know try to sign up for something like that uh but that's amazing you mentioned goggings i'm curious like who are the type of people or who are the people you look up to you personally take something from them that you learn um and uh who are inspirational for you i mean goggins for sure and just in the just how uh, how strong he is and just that idea of you know one foot in front of the other the difference between true exhaustion where you collapse compared to where uh where you actually just give up um you know if anyone does a plank there's there's very few people that would do a plank until they actually like no longer have the physical capacity to hold it right you always you always throw in the tile uh, the towel so goggins mm-hmm. is a perfect example of that where he's duct taping his feet and he's like uh you know yeah if anyone anyone uh, listening to this and um is probably the best audiobook i've ever gone through is can't hurt me by david goggins because he reads it like it's a like it's a podcast and they do interviews at the end of every chapter it's just so well done um i'm a big fan too phenomenal guy yeah i would say like the the content my favorite uh podcast i would say would be the ritual podcast um he has Mm -hmm. an episode with goggins on there um it's just so so well done um ritual is such an incredible natural devil's advocate and great interviewer and asks great questions really digs deep and, and helps people open up in a very authentic way. Um, so I, I would highly recommend that one. Um, but yeah, people like Jane Goodall and I mentioned, uh, Veronga, the, the documentary that was um, made by Leonardo DiCaprio. I'd love to connect with Leonardo DiCaprio one day. Um, right. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, so, I'm, I'm very focused. I feel like our mission is so clear right now and what we're, we're building um, that, uh, that as much as I have a, a mindset of, of consuming content and learning from other people, it's at the same time, just one foot in front of the other. We, we have enough. Uh, we are enough. 
with with uh, with all the skills that that we have in front of us um, mm-hmm. to be able to pull off this crazy mission. So it's more important right now, I, I feel like, to be building than it is to necessarily be constantly like consuming content to feel like we need to learn more or be more to be able to pull this off. And speaking of that, tell us, uh, tell us for um, for the listeners. Um, you're the president of Key Living. What is it? What you guys are building? What is the exciting part of it? Yeah, for sure. So um, Key Living is a moonshot, and we need more moonshots in Canada. It's a mm-hmm. highly audacious new model for home ownership. So just before I dive into to what it is. Um, Sure. And I gave, uh, actually, I didn't give the lunch and learn at Intersect at your, at your company. Um, Allison did, but it was great to connect with you in person to hear a bit of our story right before this all hit. Um, right. But uh, the the challenge is, is very real in cities like Toronto. Toronto takes 21 years on average to save up for a down deposit. 21 years just to, just to <laughs> save up for the down deposit to then have a mortgage, which takes another, what, 25 years to pay off, right? So now you have yeah. people that are graduating school who aren't actually able to qualify for a mortgage until they're in their mid to late 40s, right? Um, and that's <laughs> just getting further and further away. Vancouver, where I'm from, is 29 years to own. Uh, to to qualify for a mortgage. I I asked uh, someone in in New York that worked, two millennials that worked for SoftBank, and one just threw up her hands in despair. The other one did an infinity sign with her fingers, right? Um, (laughs) So so young people are locked out of the housing market. Young people have two options. They rather buy or they rent. Most people are stuck renting, Mm -hmm. so they're on the rental treadmill, not necessarily getting any further ahead. but uh, but then maintain an incredible lifestyle of freedom and not having to be house poor. Um, but at the end of the day, locked out or else you're locked into a long-term mortgage and, uh, mm-hmm. and you have to maintain a certain lifestyle to service your debt. And there comes a ton of time, cost and hassle with both the buy-sell process. Um, so we're inventing a third option, a new model for home ownership where we buy out entire high-rise real estate developments. So you can imagine how capital intensive mm-hmm. that is. And then- yes. And then everyone who lives in one of our buildings is an owner. They don't own on title, but they own shares in our company that owns the underlying real estate. And then on a monthly basis, people can buy up or sell down their equity position, which allows, uh, which changes their monthly payment um, similar to a rent. So instead of paying rent, you're paying a discount to what would be rent. And that discount is calculated by how many shares you own. And unlike a conventional mortgage where you're paying years of more interest than you are principal of a home, with key, it's a completely linear line. So let's say your unit's worth $500,000 that you live in and you own 25 grand worth of shares. Uh, that would 25 is 5% of 500. You'd essentially be receiving a 5% discount on a monthly rent. You can draw a linear line to a 100% discount if you own 500 grand worth of shares. You can buy up and sell down. So if you receive a five grand bonus, you could buy five grand worth of shares uh, and immediately that that investment is compounding and you're re- receiving a reduction in your in your rent um, or you could sell 20 grand worth of shares and go travel the world or fund your wedding isn't this concept a little bit too innovative for for normal people to to say hey i get it uh, i'm going to invest because it's 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 so hard to connect for a normal person who's not in real estate to connect this concept to something they understand before, or is it something that is still worth doing because it solves this massive problem? Look, it, it's our biggest challenge is communication. But if you uh, if you ask any person to explain how a mortgage works, how home ownership currently works, and sort of the deed system and everything that's behind it, 
most people ha don't have a single clue, right? The, mm -hmm. There's a high level degree of interest. I was talking to someone and when we give lunch and learns, there's a ton of stories that come up of everything that people have learned once they actually owned, right? Everything from mm -hmm condo fees and taxes to uh to when you see your first statement and you find out that you're actually paying way more interest than you are principal of your home <laughs> um but uh not to say that that mortgages are bad they've uh there's been generational wealth that has been built around home ownership it's just uh you know 10 years ago we used to have we used to have almost everyone that's buying a condo were actually owner residents and then in just 10 years, we've had a complete shift in the, in the market where now you have about 50% of the people who are buying are foreign investors and the other 50% are local investors. So right. the actual owner residents have been squeezed out and there's a massive ripple effect that comes from this, such as the shrinking middle class um, because people can't build wealth in real estate, such mm. as nurses who we need more than ever right now with COVID who are being squeezed out of the market and same with, um, you know, school teachers and, Absolutely. and police and service workers and um, baristas, you, the list goes on. So mm -hmm. it's, um, it's systemically where instead of just taking the, the current ecosystem and going, you know, one to two or doing a step function, more efficiency, we're completely looking at the system, shaking it up, reinventing it from the ground up. And, uh, and soon people won't necessarily need to know how exactly it works on the back end of how do we pull mm -hmm. this off. We have two patents that have been filed on our algorithms, um, but, uh, or not on our algorithms, with our actual ownership ecosystem right. and, and what we've built. And, uh, and uh, people will just trust it. You know, you don't need to understand exactly how the engine of your car runs to be able to drive it. It will be a sort of similar situation. It's a great analogy. It is a great analogy, incredible mission. And uh, yeah, it will be very cool to watch how this whole, this whole concept evolves and hopefully it really works because like you said, it, uh, solving the, the ownership uh, in Toronto, uh, in, in, uh, in cities like that is, is so important so, and, and such a big challenge to do. Um, now, I, I want to ask you this because we kind of touched a little bit on your crazy marathon, your president of the company, you did, uh, you founded uh, startups before, you're living your life to the fullest. What is the one point of difference, or you call it superpower, that you have that others don't, that allows you to do stuff like that? Yeah. Um, yeah, superpower. I would say that um, there's no superpower that I have that no one else has. Um, you know, I've always had an innate curiosity, which has led to co-founding um, Key, mm. which we, we were just talking about, and, and every other company that I've been a part of. But uh, probably the, the main thing that, that, I, um, that I recognize is just the, the difference between perceived risk and a real threat. Right. Most mm. people don't even come close to being able to tap into their potential because they're trying to mitigate a ton of risks, such as starting a company where so many people would never even dare to start a company uh, because of the perceived risk that comes along with it. Right. Um, right. So I, I feel like I just have a, a, a very healthy relationship um, with understanding the difference between a perceived risk and a, and a real threat and uh, being able to, to take those risks and um, I have one moment in time where I remember there was a mentor of mine who uh, came to, to Hootsuite, which is where I was working out of with my last company. And he, uh, he asked me a question. He said, look around at all these people 
and he said, who's taking a bigger risk right now? You or them? And I was like, I'm taking a much bigger risk. You know, they're playing it safe with the, the fact that they, they have a steady job. And, um, and he said, no, he's, he's like, they're taking a much bigger risk because if they leave their job, if they're fired today, they ha- they're dependent on another job tomorrow to be able to you know, feed their family or whatever it might be. Um, he said, you're taking a, a much smaller risk because now you're building up the, the mentality to be able to start a, a business and be fully independent. And um, you know, there's an analogy that my cousin often says, which if a bird lands on a branch, the bird isn't worried about the, the integrity of that branch because if it breaks, it can easily fly off to the next one. So yeah. understanding the difference between perceived risk and real risk is, is something that I've, uh, that I've, you know, been conscious of for a while. And there's also a risk of not doing, not taking enough risk and you're kind of missing out on life, right? That's another analogy you could probably make an argument for. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. What, uh, new belief or behavior uh, or maybe habits that uh, you adopted over the last five years that have positive, positively impacted your life? Was there anything that you did recently or maybe a little bit while back? Uh, could be anything small on a daily basis or uh, maybe one of your 30-day challenge projects that actually worked? Yeah, um, it's such a it's such a broad question that it's hard to just pick one because um, it's, it's all these gradual small improvements and things that that work for me might not work for other people, right? So it's, and, yeah, and I, I'm totally. careful in, in how I answer it just because I don't want to come across as like you know this is what works. Um, oh, and you and this is personal yep. for you, Daniel. Personal for you, yep. and then and and I know it's hard to pick one, so but by all means you can pick two or three. Um, yeah, sounds good. I would say to you know risk of coming across as so stereotypical um but i did a 30-day uh plant-based challenge um and this is going on probably four years ago now um so Mm. i i went uh i went vegan for for 30 days and it was purely just a 30-day thing um in in my mind and it just uh it was interesting just just creating the constraints around what i ate actually um just really improved a lot of the, the quality of my life in the sense that uh, I was doing it for, I've always cared deeply about impact. Was, and I watched mm-hmm. the documentary Cowspiracy and I realized that animal agriculture contributes more to um, global warming than the entire transportation system combined. And I looked into the, um, the, the United Nations report and it just blew my mind. And I think it was such of the right timing when I, when I yeah. watched that documentary that it really resonated uh, with me. And, uh, and then I started to consume a bunch of more content around um, the other aspects of why people do it around the, you know, the more compassionate side or else the, the health reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but really for me, it was ar- around the environment and it just feels, um, it, it feels like uh, maybe, maybe it's almost like a, a spiritual thing in a sense where mm-hmm. um by creating these uh, constraints, but I just, uh, yeah, it's something that that's absolutely has, has worked for me. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, not, not recommending that for others, but um, something that I've enjoyed. Um, another one on that point is Cowspiracy uh, did launch a, um, a bit, spark some creativity and uh, curiosity when it comes to mm-hmm. consuming documentaries. So that's something that I absolutely love. I've watched a ton of documentaries. Um, I feel like they're so educational 
and yeah. they're so well done from you know toxic hot seat to uh to Veronga that i mentioned earlier or cowspiracy <laughs> or whatever it, it might be there's just so many incredible incredible documentaries especially environmental do- documentaries like chasing coral uh which is which can be challenging to watch and i remember mm-hmm. um someone bringing that up to me um that uh that was actually someone who recommended uh, an animal documentary on our food system and i was like no way i would never watch that i eat half a pack of bacon and half a dozen eggs every morning and they were like hey that's that's fine there's nothing wrong with that but at least you you need to be an educated citizen and and uh just know like that you're making a conscious decision i was like ignorance is strength and they're like no ignorance is weakness and choosing mm-hmm. to to uh, to you know live live in a tunnel, right? And kind yeah. of called me out like like that. And I do feel like um, that's the general mentality for a lot of people when it comes to watching documentaries around, uh, not around food, maybe maybe food as well, but when it comes to just overall the environment, right? And we'd mm-hmm. much rather um, have that argument of ignorance of strength and put our heads in the sand instead of actually just just having that level of awareness and true education is far less about knowledge than it is about awareness and then making conscious decisions based on that awareness. Right. And so true. Most people just read the headlines. They actually don't dive deeper into like, let's say something you mentioned before, how mortgage works. They, they read the headline and understand the basics. They don't really dive into the deeper thing. How does it actually work? It's mm-hmm. easier to read a headline about an analyst and who says buy this or stock or don't buy this stock um, versus yeah. actually diving deeper into understanding the profit and loss statement of the company uh, and understanding where they are at and all of that stuff, right? Yep, so important. Just take the extra moment to, to click through one more time and actually read the details. And when you hear a stat, where is that stat coming from? Yes, exactly. Uh, and, and, and then you, don't, you actually realize that I feel like people don't, not a lot of people realize is that um, the people who make those conclusions are not always smarter than the average person. They, like if you look at the facts, it, you don't have to be uh, Ray Dalio to understand what's going to happen. Uh, for some cases, yes, you have to be super knowledgeable, but for a lot of cases, you just need to understand how it works, the basics, and then it's a lot easier to draw conclusions. Yep. So this one, I'm curious, um, what you have become better at saying no to um, over the last couple of years? Or maybe any yeah, approaches I- that work for you? For sure. I, I was just talking to my wife about this yesterday and just that now that I'm working from home, um, she brought up how every minute is just so crucial where she sees where I end a meeting two minutes early. It's like now I can run to the washroom and grab a cup of water or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so just before maybe I, I struggled with wrapping up conversations if I needed to, but now even when people sign up at keyliving.com and sign up for our, our mailing list, the first thing that they receive is a message from me with an invitation to actually book a 15 minute meeting, which is great because a bunch of people hear about us and then well, there's nothing more that I enjoy than connecting with people who are curious to mm-hmm. learn more about what we're building. Um, but, uh, but not being, shamed in any way of cutting a meeting off at 15 minutes or early i've had meetings that have been you know 30 seconds or interviews that have lasted two minutes um and uh and that and it's a respect thing to respect other people's time as well so there's one thing that 
with, uh, with just being super punctual. If I, let's say I'm interviewing someone and mm -hmm. within two minutes, I realize that, that they're not a fit. Um, for example, they're, if they're mm -hmm. interviewing for a software engineer and they're, they're still in school and they are looking for uh, a, you know, a very junior position in a couple years and they're just wanting to see what's out there. It's great. Happy, happy to mentor. Maybe this is a bad example. Happy to help mm -hmm. people and, and point them in the right direction. And I, and I do mentor quite a few people who are early in their careers or mostly um, entrepreneurs, but often in any, in any case, if there is a meeting that I'm looking to cut off, I'll say, this isn't a fit um, for whatever reason. But yep. I want to make sure that I'm not wasting your time and that you get something out of this. So let's take the next two minutes and just hear what your biggest challenges are and how I can support you in what you're going through right now. And, uh, and that way, usually the, the meeting is, is far more productive. Um, and I, I pretty much end every single meeting, even if it's something that I'm not trying to cut off short by any way, but just really mm -hmm. having that mindset of how can I help. So it's a, it's a very easy way of transitioning conversation is just wrapping something up by saying, hey, this was awesome connecting. Um, what can I do to help with whatever you got going on right now? Right. And speaking of, uh, um, speaking of wrapping things up, we have uh, a, few, a few minutes left. Um, the last question, any final thoughts or messages you'd like to leave the audience with? Yeah. Um, I feel like uh, there's, there's uh, a lot that we touched on in this podcast, but uh, I would say just a, a timely um, reminder since it is COVID, but just to use this time to, to double down on working on yourself and having that curiosity of, um, of why are you bored, you know, and, and what, mm -hmm. what is, there's boredom, any, any emotion that you feel is your mind and body telling you something. And if it's a negative emotion, it's telling you that you're, you're not in line with, uh, with where you should be. Um, or that there's the, your subconscious wants something different for yourself. So, um, yeah, it's an incredible opportunity to really do some personal work and to, to dig deep and, and, uh, and make sure that you're coming out of this just shining bright and, and so much further ahead than you were two months ago. Daniel, that was a lot of fun. Really, really interesting chat. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me. Apologies that I've been uh, postponing this for a good, a good year now, but it was uh, great to finally connect. Thank you guys for listening. This was Daniel Dubois and uh, his fascinating view on life and work and just how little we, we are using of our potential. Um, I'll see you guys in the next episode.